0: This is African News Tonight on the Voice of America.
1: Hello, welcome to View Africa.
2: Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Clotty, and here's what's coming up. In a democratic setting, I don't think this is, this is correct. I can understand the affairs about security challenges, but that is not enough for them to totally shut out journalists from covering trials of terrorism suspects. That was Mustafa Issa president of
1: the Nigeria Guild of Editors on a federal judge's ruling that terrorism-related trials in Nigeria can be done in secret. And all this and more coming up on African News tonight. Police in Nigeria's Central Plateau State told VOA Today they have deployed to nine villages where gunmen on Sunday reportedly killed more than 70 people and burned down houses. Police and locals say hundreds of villages have fled their homes since the attack, the second in the state in just over a week. Security experts say attacks by armed gangs are becoming increasingly common in northern and central Nigeria. Armed gangs invaded the villages in broad daylight on Sunday, shooting and torching houses. Local residents say the victims included farmers who were tilling their fields in preparation for planting and that dozens were taken away by the attackers, including women and children. Also in Nigeria, Vice President Yemi Oshibanjo tweeted today he will seek the ruling All-Progressive Party or APC nomination to run for president next February. He will be running to succeed his boss, Mohamed Buhari, who is leaving office after serving two full-year terms. Political parties in Nigeria are expected to pick presidential candidate by June three. An official campaigning begins in September. Oshibanjo will face competition in the push to become the APC candidate. APC leader and former Lagos State Governor Bola Tenubu has already announced he will run. Other APC aspirants are Transport Minister Rotimi Amachi and Yaya Belu, the Governor of Central Kogi State. Former Vice President Atiku Abubakar, who has run five times for president, last month announced he will run again on the opposition PDP platform. Media practitioners and rights groups say they oppose a federal judge's ruling that terrorism-related trials in Nigeria be done in secret. Mike Mbonia reports from Lagos. Mustafa
3: Esa is the president of the Nigeria Guild of Editors. He says the group opposes the recent ruling by a federal judge that all terrorism cases be tried in camera without journalists or other outside witnesses in court. Justice John Soho of the Federal High Court, Abuja, ruled last week that coverage of any of the proceedings will be prohibited. The judge said his ruling was designed to ensure the security of all parties and the public and to ensure fair trials. ESA says the ruling is undemocratic.
2: A Lagger of Editors is against this uh, directive by the Children of the Federal High Court. Barry journalists from covering the trials of terrorism uh, um, uh, suspects. So I will advise the government to withdraw this directive to allow the media of access assets to cover the proceedings. In a democratic setting, I don't think this is, this is correct. I can understand the affairs of security challenges, but that is not enough for them to totally shut out journalists from covering the trials of terrorism suspects.
3: Isa says, if journalists cover trials, it builds confidence in the judiciary. Joseph Olobari is a rights activist and legal practitioner. He says, the Nigerian constitution allows a media ban when it is in the public interest. He says, however, that trying terrorism suspects in secret does not allow the needed court transparency. Nigerians are interested in knowing how terrorism is being managed, and that should be paramount and be who have been apparent to the government, especially in view of the political implications of all of this. That decision does not tell well for the government. Obari says people are conscious of the security challenges in the country and want to monitor trials of terrorism cases. In the courts. This is Mike Mbonye for VOA News in Lagos.
1: South African President Sarah Ramaphosa says the growing anti foreigner movement carries disturbing echoes of the country's apartheid past, and 12,000 additional police officers are being recruited to tackle the underlying cause crime. With unemployment officially hitting 35%, foreign workers are being accused of stealing jobs from South African citizens and targeted in a fresh wave of xenophobia. It erupted into violence in the Johannesburg township of Sloot last week when an angry mob dragged a Zimbabwean man from his home and stoned and burned him to death. In a speech today, Ramaphosa said this and other behavior is how the apartheid oppressors operated. We cannot allow such injustices to happen again, he added. Warning people not to take the law into their own hands, Ramaphosa called crime a common enemy and said perpetrators can be white or black, citizens or foreigners. Some critics of the South African government say its abstention from a vote on Friday to suspend Russia from the UN Human Rights Council shows it is morally bankrupt. President Cyril Ramaphosa's administration says it will maintain what it calls non-alignment regarding the war in Ukraine, even as evidence mounts of atrocities, including execution
4: of citizens and rape of women and girls committed by the Kremlin troops. Darren Taylor reports. In 1994, Nelson Mandela's African National Congress finally defeated apartheid. The ANC formed South Africa's government and implemented one of the world's most progressive human rights charters. Since then, however, the party has repeatedly sided with some of the world's most noted human rights violators, including China, Russia and Zimbabwe. Last week, South Africa's International Relations Minister Naledi Pandor told the United Nations her government would abstain from the vote against Russia before the General Assembly, in the interests of fairness, not because it condoned what she called Moscow's intervention in Ukraine. Senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue in Johannesburg, Faith Mabera, says Pandora's position was that the UN was being selective in its eagerness to punish Russia.
5: When you look at also other violations of human rights by other countries, it needs to also receive... The same level of attention that this situation has received and that has not been the case she alluded to the case of what's been happening in gaza and how that situation has seemed to elude the swift action that we've seen in this case so this is i think a very interesting and valid points by south africa in terms of backing up its stance. but also i think the
4: other last thursday that, the un general uh, assembly voted 93 to 24 to, to suspend russia from the human rights council Because of its invasion of Ukraine and rights abuses its troops are alleged to have committed, South Africa was among 58 nations that abstained. International law professor at the University of Johannesburg, Henny Stradom, says South Africa's stance isn't valid or fair. He points out that at the UN, South Africa's clearly aligned with most countries that are anti-West, no matter what they do. Stradom says the South African government's just as hypocritical as others by condemning actions taken by Western countries, such as Washington's invasion of Iraq, but refusing to condemn those taken by its political allies. He adds that the South African government's insistence that it's non-aligned regarding the conflict in Ukraine should be taken with a pinch of salt.
6: South Africa is clearly aligned with the states that oppose quite often measures taken or the stance taken by, by the West. And I do not have a problem because that is the, the foreign policy choice of South Africa and other countries taking the stance. But please do not use the non-aligned argument in this regard with China because they are clearly aligned.
4: At the UN, Pandor said South Africa had resisted becoming embroiled in the politics of confrontation and aggression advocated by powerful countries seeking to punish Russia. Stradom finds this statement strange indeed. South
6: Africa fails to mention the aggression, the war of aggression that was committed by Russia and Ukraine. It's clearly in terms of international law, a war of aggression. So I think if it wants to, you know, apply a balanced approach to the matter, it is something to be taken into account. And the reason why I'm saying that is because of the fact that states must uh, take it seriously that they are the creators as well as the enforcers of international law, and they have to uphold the rule of law.
4: South Africa has avoided condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine, although it has called for an end to hostilities, and President Cyril Ramaphosa has offered to help mediate a peaceful resolution. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Rwanda is putting the final touches on preparation to host more
1: than 7,000 people, including Heads of State and even a little royalty in June for the 26th Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting known as Chogum. Eugene Wimana took a look around Kigali to see the changes.
7: You can feel something big is about to happen in the Rwandan capital. New roads are being built. Residents say that when the country has hosted international summits before, many roads got closed Disrupting their businesses, this time they will have alternatives.
0: This man says it used to
7: be very bad. Just imagine waking up ready to go to work and finding roads blocked just for the sake of hosting meetings. But looking at how many roads are being made, he believes there will be no problem. They will leave main roads for guests and we still get our way. From roads and shopping malls to petrol stations and hotels, owners say they are prepared for the Chogam, which they expect to be a booming selling point. Vita Mnulongabo is deputy manager of Nobleza Hotel.
2: He says,
7: we are past revamping our rooms, conference halls, and other infrastructure. We are now training our staff on customer care and English so they'll be able to provide services that are at the international standards. Vianiga Sana, the CEO of Vision 2020 Forex Bureau, says his staff is prepared to work around the clock to help participants change their currencies. He says, our staff and others in the sector of exchanging currencies in Forex Bureaus, we have been having engagements with the National Bank on how to improve the quality of our service when the chogam comes in june we will all be set to offer good services 24 7. the meeting was originally planned for june 2020 but it was postponed twice due to the covenanted pandemic now it's coming rwandans who have businesses on the ground and underground say they are looking forward to inking many beneficial partnerships This is Philip Laki, Head of Investment Marketing at Rwanda Development Board.
8: Energy and mining is one of the, you know, uh, some of the two important sectors for economy. We know that we want really to, you know, um, advance our mining industry you know from you know artisanal to semi mechanized to fully industrial and for us really to be able to achieve all this we need to find ways of connecting international partners and companies with the local companies we all know challenges that come around with financing investments and the challenges that are within these companies from the financing standpoint how can they actually start preparing themselves for them to be able to connect with these international financing companies that will be coming to Rwanda in June.
7: For the past three years, the government has been initiating several activities to prepare for the upcoming Chogam. Joe Lomas, the UK Commonwealth Envoy, confirms that after evaluating the preparations Rwanda is ready.
9: Absolutely. I can confirm that all is set. Now, obviously, this is this is for Rwanda to fully decide. Um, I have met um, officials, I've discussed with officials today, um, and they are very well prepared, as always, and we are now starting to talk about the detail of Chokum and what we want to come out of it. It's really fantastic to be in that space. I mean, many officials here, like me, have spent three or four years preparing for this. I'm confident it's going to happen.
7: Joloma said the Prince of Wales The heir to the British throne will make the first royal visit to Rwanda for the meeting. At the end, Rwandan President Paul Kagame will succeed the UK Prime Minister as Commonwealth Chair-in-Chief for two years until the next meeting in Samoa. In 2009, Rwanda joined the Commonwealth, which now has more than 2.4 billion citizens for VOA news Chigali, Rwanda
1: It's the typical postcard image of Ghana, brightly colored wooden fishing boats bringing in the daily catch. but increasingly, this way of life is under threat as a new investigation finds Chinese vessels engaging in illegal fishing are hurting local communities and threatening the fishermen's way of life. Kate Butler reports from Johannesburg.
9: China is the world's biggest fish producer and has the largest distant water fleet, more than 2,700 vessels, many of which engage in illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing in West Africa, according to a new report by the Environmental Justice Foundation, or EJF. EJF's chief operating officer, Max Schmidt, says some 90% of Ghana's industrial trawl fleet is actually owned by Chinese corporations using local front companies to register as Ghanaian, thereby circumventing the law.
5: EJF has been monitoring Ghana's coastal waters for a number of years and has recorded frequent instances of illegal fishing by Chinese-owned vessels.
9: The NGO estimates Chinese bottom trawlers catch some 2.35 million tons of fish a year in West Africa, accounting for 50% of China's total distant water catch and worth some $5 billion. The report finds Chinese vessels engaged in illegal fishing are depleting fish stocks, and Ghanaian workers on Chinese vessels also reported instances of physical abuse and poor living conditions. Local fishing communities pay a high price too, with 80 to 90 percent of fishers in Ghana reporting a decline in income in recent years. It's also affecting food security, says Schmidt.
5: Illegal fishing and overcapacity in the Ghanaian trawl sector is having catastrophic impacts on coastal communities across the country.
9: China has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing, with state media dismissing such allegations as Western propaganda and pointing to Chinese-funded developments, like a new fishing port complex in Ghanaian capital, Accra, that it says will greatly improve the working and living conditions for local fishermen. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg.
1: Amid pressure from citizens to fix an economy battered by high inflation and effects of COVID-19, the Zambian government has relaxed COVID-19 health guidelines, allowing business and public gatherings to return to normal. Zambia's Minister of Health, Sylvia Maserbo, says the move was made after a careful assessment showed the infection rate is low. While the tourism sector has welcomed the move, there are others who question the Southern African nation's preparedness if there is a sudden spike in the pandemic. From Lusaka Zambia, reporter Elias Limwana has this report.
0: Health Minister Sylvia Masebo said that with the COVID-19 infection positive test rate at 4% in the country, it is no longer mandatory to have a negative COVID to enter Zambia if a person is vaccinated.
5: The COVID-19 outbreak situation in the country is encouraging as we note that the fourth wave is subsiding. The number of cases being reported daily have reduced significantly with the SARS-CoV-2 national average test positivity rate of less than 5% for over three weeks now. We also observe a reduced number of persons with COVID-19 being hospitalized or succumbing to death due to the disease.
0: The Minister of Health further indicated that churches, pubs and nightclubs can operate without restrictions and churches which were limited to meeting two hours twice a week have been urged to operate on full blast.
5: We have adjusted the following public health and social measures with immediate effect. There will be no restrictions on population movement and travel and business operations. Persons traveling to Zambia will no longer need to have a PCR test. However, one must be fully vaccinated to forego the test. Those not fully vaccinated must provide evidence of SARS-CoV-2 negative uh, PCR tests.
0: But some people have concerns about the government's decision. Nutritionist and rights activist Joseph Moyo, who has a chronic illness that compromises his immune system, warns the move exposes people in his situation to the pandemic. There are worries about how the government will ensure the public adheres to safety measures such as wearing masks and social distancing in public places.
10: Zambia and many other African countries have zero capacity for rapid response whenever health problems rear their ugly heads in their countries and within the continent. There's no ability to be able to respond at short notice and put up mitigating measures. By the time a problem is detected it will have already spread beyond the capacity of those countries to manage many african countries including zambia have no capacity to develop their own vaccines we are still countries that are more dependent on the western technology And that is a danger for any country to outsource its health to other countries because when such pandemics spread, those countries with that technology will first use it for the benefit of their citizens before they can send vaccines to other countries.
0: On the other hand, for the Livingstone Tourism Association, which has seen over 60% of job losses. The move is important. Hilary Kashempa is chairperson for the Livingstone Tourism Association. We are very happy that our government has come through and just relaxed the travel guidelines. Clients or visitors wishing to come to a beautiful destination no longer need the PCR-negative test as long as they are fully vaccinated. The National Public Health Institute has recorded nearly 4,000 COVID 19 deaths since the pandemic broke out. For VOA, this is Elias in Ilusaka, Zambia.
1: Tobacco remains Zimbabwe's main cash crop. In 2021, the country sold more than 180 million kilos of tobacco, bringing in more than $500 million. But the projection for this year's auctions are lower. From Harare reporter Kutai Zvanavashi has more. Mino okudu is head of the Tobacco Industry Marketing Board, the regulating
8: authority for tobacco production in Zimbabwe. He says this season has had challenges.
11: This season has three characteristics. Firstly, the rains were late in many tobacco growing areas. After the rains were received, they became excessive. Later on, there was a mid-season drought that was experienced. Because of those problems, he says, The board expects a
8: smaller crop to sell this year. So far, in the early stages of the auctions, the number of kilograms is lower than it was at this point last year.
11: In terms of the volume, our volume delivered to date is 4.4 million versus 6.1 million last year. So in terms of volume, we are 28% lower as compared to last season. And this is attributed to the late onset of the rain. So, what it means really is that most of our small scale farmers who planted with the late rain are yet to come to the market. And in terms of value, open for that we have talked about around 12 million USD, the the average price for this time around is two dollars fifty six and it's 9.31 percent firmer than the previous season. Kudu
8: says the higher prices. Are good news for farmers
11: this is the farmers PA when prices are 9% higher than last year farmers are happy the comments that we get from the farmers is that they are very very happy and uh, generally we expect our prices to remain same throughout the season because of the supply and demand situation uh, both internally and at global level at global level we are in an undersupply situation
8: Kudu says due to the late rains The tobacco board expects deliveries to increase as the auctions progress. Zimbabwe's economy has been depressed for years, leaving the country cash-strapped. Tobacco farming is one of the main avenues that have always brought relief, bringing in the much-needed foreign currency into the country. For VOA,
1: this is Kudzai Namashe from Harare. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clote in Washington. For all latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voenews.com. And thank you again for tuning in and choosing the voice of America.
5: or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Ah! Ah! Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 15.